Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 741 with Natalie Kogan. If you feel like there's been a lot of struggle in your world, well, Natalie's got some excellent perspective on how to become the boss of your brain and beat the negativity bias. You'll learn one, why struggle is optional. Two, the two questions to boost your emotional fitness. And three, how to turn around your brain's negativity bias. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we reference, please pay us a visit at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP741 and check out some of the goodies we've got for you over at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now here's Natalie's story. Natalie Kogan is a former venture capitalist and founder of Happier, a global technology and learning platform helping individuals and organizations to realize full potential by adopting scientifically proven practices that improve their well-being. Since launching Happier, Natalie has been featured in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Fortune, New York Magazine, and Time Magazine, and has appeared as an expert on Dr. Oz, Bloomberg TV, and One World with Deepak Chopra. She's a sought-out keynote speaker, having appeared at events that include the Million Dollar Roundtable, Fortune's Tech Brainstorm, South by Southwest, and many others. Big thanks to Natalie for sharing her wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Natalie. Natalie, welcome to How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Thank you. I love the title of the podcast. I'm excited. I overuse the word awesome more than any other word, so we're in good company. Oh, well, it's meant to be. In fact, your latest <laughs> book is called The Awesome Human Project. You've got a lot of awesome human listeners. Can you tell us what's the, the big idea here? The big idea is that challenge in life is constant, but struggle is optional. So I'm calling official BS on the meme of the struggle is real because struggle is something we can reduce uh, by improving our emotional fitness and what's real in life is challenge. Okay. So there's a distinction right there. Challenge versus struggle. Can you expand on that? Yeah, I think it's one of the most important insights that I've gained on my journey. I uh, spent most of my life struggling. I thought that's the way it's supposed to be. I came to the U.S. as a refugee. That was a lot of struggle. Uh, and I thought to do anything meaningful in life, you got to struggle. It's got to be hard. And that's what I did until I completely burnt out and almost lost everything that was meaningful to me, including this company, Happier, that I was building to help people and companies and teams create a culture of gratitude and joy. So that taught me a really powerful lesson that challenge is something we cannot control in life. And uh, as we all know, the times we're living in right now, there's a lot of challenge. Challenge is always there. But 
We can reduce our experience of struggle by creating a more supportive relationship with ourselves, by strengthening our emotional fitness, by training our brain, just like we train our body to be more physically fit, by training our brain to help us get through challenges with less overwhelm, anxiety, and stress. And not only does that feel better, which I think is a wonderful goal, but that actually gives us more energy, more of our capacity to solve problems, make decisions. And so Everything I share in my new book and everything I teach to teams and companies has come from my own experience, but it's also backed by mountains of research that show that when you cultivate your well-being, when you actually reduce your struggle, when you fuel your energy, you're more productive, you're more creative, you're better at helping people, you're more awesome at your job. Mm-hmm. Lovely. Well, so then if a struggle is optional, I guess I'm curious uh, if you were to sort of go back in time with your, your refugee journey. You said there was some struggle there. So that, that struggle was, was optional. How would you think about it differently in hindsight? Yeah. So challenge wasn't optional. I mean, to leave, I grew up in the former Soviet Union and we left uh, with my parents when I was a teenager with six suitcases and a couple hundred dollars. And we spent months in refugee settlements in Europe applying for permission to come to the US. That's really hard, right? That's a lot of challenge. But a lot of the struggle that I experienced came from my inability to handle my difficult emotions. I had no skills around that. Of course, I felt anxious and I had tremendous loss of identity and self-doubt. And that went on for decades. I, On the outside, I became a very successful leader, entrepreneur, venture capitalist, you name it. But on the inside, I struggled because I never developed uh, emotional awareness. I didn't know how to handle difficult emotions, so I just pretended I didn't feel them. I uh, engaged in tremendous amount of harsh self-talk and treated myself, to be honest, like a military sergeant uh, who's not very nice. And those are all things that, in retrospect, I could have improved, which would have, the challenges would have still been there, but I would have struggled less through them. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, so then I'm curious, can you lay it on us? What are some of the training approaches? If we want to have less overwhelm, anxiety, and stress, what are some of the most effective things we can do to feel better on those domains? Yeah, this is what my book is about. So at its core, the way that I think about emotional fitness, it's the skill of creating a relationship with your thoughts and your emotions that actually helps support you. And the thing we need to understand before I give you some tips is our brain is not here to make us happy or to make us awesome or to help us thrive. The only thing the human brain cares about is to keep us safe from danger. Our brain is here to help us survive. Mm -hmm. And because of that, it's developed certain characteristics that actually can increase struggle. We all have a negativity bias. We see and notice many more things that are negative or could be negative. And our brain ignores a lot of things that are positive or meaningful or okay, especially if they're familiar. Our brain is also afraid of uncertainty. And so when we're facing uncertainty, our brain creates a lot more stress and anxiety because it doesn't know how to keep us safe. And it creates these ruminations on worst case scenarios as a way to give it control. And so I share this little mini neuroscience lesson because at the core of creating or strengthening your emotional fitness so you struggle less is this practice of what I call in my book, becoming the editor of your thoughts. And understanding that just because your brain gives you a thought, it doesn't mean it's fact. It doesn't mean it's an objective observation of reality. 
it doesn't mean you need to go along with it. So two questions to ask yourself when you become aware that your brain is giving you thoughts that are causing you to stress, to struggle, to doubt yourself, to think about worst case scenarios, two questions to ask. It's one of my favorite practices in the book. The first is, is this thought true? And by that, I mean, what are the facts I have to support this thought, right? So when your thought tells you, oh my God, this project you're working on, it's never going to work out, or oh my God, your boss thinks you're doing a terrible job. Well, is this thought true? What facts do you have to support it, right? Which we often find out when we ask this question, well, I don't have a lot of facts. It's just the story my brain has made up. So that's the first question to ask is, what are the facts you have to support this thought? The second question to ask is, is this thought helpful? And by that, I mean, does engaging in this thought, does it help me move forward through this challenge? Does it help me bring my best to the situation? And asking those two questions is a really powerful way to shift your thoughts away from those that cause you stress, anxiety, overwhelm, self-doubt, and actually help your brain be your ally to help you move forward in the best way. Okay. Well, so that sounds really handy in terms of asking yourself those questions. And so let's just say you're in a situation at work, a colleague criticizes, questions something you've done such that you're feeling kind of bummed and you're like, oh man, I'm such an idiot. That was so stupid. What was I thinking? I'm a moron. Oh my gosh, am I going to get fired? Or maybe they are going to fire me. And so then you maybe you go through these, these questions. Is this thought true? It's like, well, they're probably not going to fire me and I'm probably not a piece of garbage. And uh, is this thought helpful? Well, no, not really. It's kind of bringing me down. And so, so we've concluded rationally, okay, these thoughts are not true and they are not helpful. But nonetheless, I feel yucky. What do I do? All right. So this brings us to the next skill, which is the skill of what I call acceptance in the book. And the skill of acceptance, you know, I used to hate this word acceptance because I thought it was like being really passive. You know, whatever happens, happens. And, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a refugee. I'm a fighter. Well, that's not what acceptance is. Acceptance is a skill of looking at the situation clearly. So as you've just done, separating the facts from the dramatic story your brain has told you, and then using that as the foundation to say, okay, this is how it is. This is how I feel. What is one thing I could do to move forward in the best way? And so in your situation, right? So you've determined that, well, my brain is kind of exaggerating. I don't really have any facts that my boss is going to fire me. And this is making me suck at my job if I sit here and think about it all day. So what is one thing I could do to move forward, right? And that answer depends on your situation, but a couple ideas just for the scenario you offered, because it's a common one. Well, you could focus your attention on working on this project that you're working on, uh, right? You could focus your attention on that. You could have a conversation with your boss and other a really important skill that I talk about is emotional openness. So you could have a conversation with your boss where you can say like, listen, I just want to tell you, you know, our last conversation that we had, it kind of left me feeling like maybe there's something I'm not doing. I'd love to talk. I'd love to get some feedback, right? Those are all things that you are now in control. So you've now shifted from being out of control. My boss hates me. I'm going to get fired. That's feeling out of control is one of the worst things for the human brain. This is how we get into tough spots. And you've now shifted into, okay, this is how it is. This is how I feel. What is one thing I could do to move forward, which gives you a sense of control and progress, which brings your best out in the situation. And then whatever you learn in that next step, you can move forward from there. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So then, so we've got some strategies sort of in the heat of battle, right? In the midst of things. Yeah. Can you talk to us? You mentioned the emotional immune system. Yeah. Are there some things we can do throughout time? Yeah. And not just uh, front and center uh, acutely 
that will, will put us in good shape? Yeah. So if you think about your emotional fitness, again, a great comparison is physical fitness, right? If you want to be more physically fit, you don't just like work out once and then you're done. You have a regular workout. You probably eat healthy. You might take some vitamins. The same thing about our emotional fitness is we have to practice to give ourselves this level of emotional fitness. And then we have certain skills for in the moment. So a couple of things to kind of improve your emotional fitness on a regular basis. One is to practice emotional awareness. We can't improve something if we don't know where we are. And most of us have grown up in work environments where emotions are not discussed. I, I definitely, I mean, I worked with some leading companies like Microsoft and McKinsey, and no one ever talked to me about emotions. I didn't think that mattered. You know, the old idea of leave your emotions at the door is not actually possible. Emotions affect everything we do. So we have to get into the practice of checking in with ourselves daily, right? We check in with friends, colleagues, right? Hey, how are you? How are you doing? How are you feeling? We don't check in with ourselves. And emotional awareness is at the core. So every day, take a moment to check in with yourself. How am I feeling? What's my energy level like? And research shows that people who practice this kind of emotional awareness actually improve their well-being because when you become aware, awareness gives you choices. So that awareness might tell you, wow, I'm really stressed out. Okay, well, how can I support myself? Oh, it's actually this one thing that's really stressing me out. Let me go have that conversation. So emotional awareness is really, really important. The other skill that I devote a lot of the, my new book is gratitude. So I think gratitude is one of those things that we all know is good for us and we think we should do it on Thanksgiving. But I actually mean gratitude as a, a daily skill. And the reason gratitude is so important and all that gratitude is, by the way, it's focusing your attention on things that are positive, that are the moments that are in your day of comfort, uh, things you appreciate. They don't have to be big things. The reason it's so important is because of that negativity bias that I talked about that our brains have. Without practicing gratitude, essentially your brain is lying to you about your reality. You see things much more through a negative lens and that actually drains your energy, increases stress, reduces your ability to be awesome because it makes you use all that energy thinking about all the negative things. So having a regular daily practice of gratitude balances out that negativity bias that actually reduces your stress. It helps you have a more centered, clear picture of your day so you can be at your best. So those are a couple of practices that I recommend on a daily basis to improve your emotional fitness. Mm -hmm. And so we talk about gratitude. I've heard a number of flavors associated with, with gratitude practices. What are, are some of your favorites and the, the research associated with them? Yeah. So uh, I think there are two parts of gratitude that I want to mention. There's a gratitude practice to, for yourself. So my favorite practice, which is also in the book, is what I call the morning gratitude lens. Very simple. In the morning, hopefully before social media has taken away your attention or you're reading your 17th news article of the day, which we know we all do, take a moment Think of three specific things you are grateful for and jot them down in some way. And this is a practice that counters that negativity bias I just talked about. Really, really important to be specific. So I work with a lot of leaders and teams and I ask them, tell me something you're grateful for. And they say, you know, I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for my health. That's very general. Uh, your brain doesn't really care about general things like that. So be specific. Ask yourself why. Why am I grateful for my family? Why am I grateful for my health? Be really specific. So that's a, a way to practice gratitude for yourself. And then a really, really important part of gratitude is to express your gratitude to others, to look at other people, your family, your friends, your colleagues, your boss, uh, your customers through what I call the lens of gratitude and to actually share your gratitude with them by, again, being specific, by saying, 
Hey, Pete, I just want you to know, I really appreciate your thoughtful questions in this interview, right? Again, when we are specific with our gratitude, it has this really powerful impact and it's a gift that gives to both people. So when I share my gratitude with you, I remind myself, wow, there's this person in my life who supports me, who's meaningful, that helps me. And uh, there's so much benefit on the receiving end of gratitude. I think we all know it feels really good, but in the work context, being on the, on the receiving side of gratitude um, improves motivation, improves resilience. It actually helps you get through more challenges because at our core as human beings, we need to know that what we do matters. And when someone expresses gratitude to us, that's what it reminds us of. So those to me are the two sides of gratitude that I encourage you to practice for yourself and then expressing authentic, specific gratitude to others. Mm-hmm. I'm also curious. I was listening to a podcast from the Huberman Lab, Andrew Huberman, Love is Stuff, and uh, he was talking about gratitude practices with regard to some interesting research associated with hearing other people's stories in which they were helped and they expressed their gratitude and or reflecting upon the times that that you received gratitude when someone was like, oh, Natalie, thank you so much. That was awesome. You you made, you changed everything for me. And, and I, I thought that was a, kind of a different take and a, a different kind of vibe and flavor of gratitude. What do you think about those? Yeah, there's actually, I love that you brought that up. There is so much research that shows that just witnessing someone sharing gratitude with another person, so it's not at you, it's about someone else, improves our well-being, boosts our mood. And that is because at our core, as human beings, we are all connected, right? And we all, our emotions are connected, our emotions are contagious. And so there's a lot of research shows that witnessing or hearing someone talk about expressing gratitude actually both boosts your own well-being and it's contagious. It encourages you to share that gratitude with others. And actually something I want to mention on that, because a lot of times, you know, I work with a lot of teams and companies and I tell them about this practice that I want them to do this in meetings, right? So in a meeting, express your gratitude to someone in the meeting and tell them why you're grateful for them. And often I'll get a question of like, well, isn't that like, won't the other people feel weird that I'm not like expressing gratitude to them? Won't they feel bad? The opposite is true. It actually makes everyone feel good because what you're communicating to them is I am a kind of person who practices gratitude and I appreciate other people around me. So It doesn't make people jealous or envious or annoyed. It actually helps for them to express their gratitude to others. So sharing your gratitude publicly is always a good thing. Mm, Very cool. Very cool. And you mentioned, and we may have already covered some, you've got three mindset shifts that help make happiness and emotional health a reality for folks. What are those three shifts? So these are my like principles, right? The core principles. The fr- and we've actually covered a bunch of them. So the first is to think of, to recognize that your happiness and your emotional fitness is a skill. It's not a prize you get at the end. You know, so many of us, and I definitely did this in my life. So many of us uh, live with this idea of like, I'll be happy when, right? So for everyone listening, I'm sure you can relate. You know, I'll be happy when I get this promotion or finish this project or launch this thing or lose weight or gain weight or move. And we think that something on the outside can actually give us that lasting happiness and that can never happen. And there's a biological reason for that. There's nothing wrong with you. The other thing to know about our brain is it's very adaptable. We get used to things. And so while you're working towards that big promotion, your brain is releasing a lot of dopamine. It makes you feel good. When you get it, your brain's like, yes, awesome. Got it. What's next? And so I'll be happy when doesn't work. Happiness is not a reward. 
when you think of it as a skill, when you think of happiness and emotional fitness as a skill, something that you practice, we just talked about a bunch of different ways to practice, that actually is what builds that. So that's a really important uh, mindset shift. We talked about another one, which is life is full of challenges and challenges will never go away. Challenge, change, uncertainty is always there, but struggle and your emotional experience of those is something you can improve, you can reduce struggle. So that's another core mindset shift, which we've covered. And one more, which is so essential, and that is that you don't need to make any dramatic life changes to feel better, to improve your well-being. Small shifts in how you treat yourself, in your relationship with your thoughts, in your relationship with with other people, small shifts have huge impact when you practice them consistently. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you. Well, I'd love to hear then, uh, we've got a number of principles and, and tips and tactics. Can you uh, bring it together in terms of a, a story of someone who had a pretty cool transformation of doing some of these things and turn things around to become all the more awesome at their jobs? Yeah. Well, so many examples come to mind, but I'll use one example of a leader. I do a Elevating Women Leaders leadership program for women every year. It's always virtual. It's a year-long program. And when this woman leader came into the program, she was very accomplished. She was running a huge brand, but she was really exhausted. She was on the edge of burnout. And she admitted that she was not bringing her best or anywhere near her best to her work. And she didn't really quite know what to do. She's done kind of all the things that she could think of. And by practicing first and foremost, just becoming aware of her emotions and developing a relationship with herself that was supportive. So when she felt a difficult emotion, instead of stuffing it down, she actually acknowledged it and found ways to support herself by practicing gratitude. She began a daily gratitude practice on her own, and she began a weekly practice of gratitude with her team where everyone on the team would share gratitude with other people. It was an amazing transformation. I mean, she talked about how not only did she become as a leader better and started to thrive, but she said the entire culture of her team changed. They all began to work much more cohesively together. They were better, more effective. And it was a pretty incredible transformation. When you think about these practices, they're not complicated, but here's someone who went from being on the edge of burnout, not bringing her best to changing herself in such a way that she encouraged her entire team to elevate their performance. All righty. Well, Natalie, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. I think the only other thing I want to mention is everything I teach and everything that's in my book, it comes from my personal lens. I teach things I've learned and obviously I'm a total research geek. And what I just want to leave listeners with kind of this reminder that really helped me after I was recovering from burnout. And it's something I share with teams and leaders and people. And it's that you can't give what you don't have. We have an epidemic of burnout now going on and there's a lot of articles about how things are bad and we're burning out, but you always have a choice. You always have a choice. There are always things within your control that you can change And as we've talked about, they don't require any kind of Herculean life changes, but you can always find ways and practice skills to support yourself, to support your emotional fitness and well-being. And there's so many people who consider that like selfish or they feel guilty taking care of their happiness or emotional fitness. And so I want to break through all that and again, tell you that you can give what you don't have. If you are on empty, if you have no energy, if you're exhausted, if you're constantly beating yourself up. You cannot be awesome at your job. You cannot show up as a patient, 
thoughtful, clear leader. You cannot show up in, a, in, in the way that I know you want to, to people you care about. So it's, uh, it's probably something I say most often throughout the day, both through other people and to myself. All right. Well, now can you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? I'm going to share this quote, which my uh, teacher, uh, who was my teacher as I was kind of healing from burnout and really going through a process of reinvention, said to me, uh, she said, you're a being, not a doing. And at the time, I had no idea what that meant, and I didn't really care. I was very much a doing. I connected my worth entirely to my achievements for the day. But I find it uh, one of the most inspiring things, and I do want listeners to hear that. I think there's so much more that we can all contribute to the world and to our jobs if we value our being, our essence, our energy, ourselves, and not just connect that to our achievements. All right. And could you share a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? Oof, let's see. Well, one of my favorite uh, bits of research is you've gone into my favorite area. They're also, I'm such a research geek. Okay, let me share one around the negativity bias, gratitude uh, being important because I think it really lands it. So they've done experiments where they have people wear headphones and in one ear, they have negative words coming in. And in the other ear, they have positive words coming in. And even if the positive words are louder and clearer, when they ask people what they recall, they recall the negative words. Our brain mm. is constantly on alert for anything negative. And I just love that study because it kind of, it's so literal that it brings at home this reality that our brain is looking at everything through this negativity lens and we have to correct it. Well, I'm a research geek as well. That's so intriguing. And I'm wondering, hopefully they rotated the headphones the left and the right. They have done, and you can look into it. They did all kinds of things. All righty. And uh, a favorite book? I would have to say The Surrender Experiment by Michael Singer, which is probably the book I give to people more than my own books. And it's an incredible story of this very promising economics PhD student who one day decides that he needs to figure out why there's constant chatter in his brain. Like we all have this voice in our head, right? That's constantly chattering. You're not good enough. You didn't do it. No, he's just commenting on everything. So he quit and decided he was going to be a yogi and he was just going to be Zen and calm his mind. And it's an amazing story of how that actually led him to run a $2 billion company we've all heard of and an incredible journey of what happens when we practice acceptance, when we actually accept ourselves and the world as they are. So I absolutely recommend that, that book. All right. And a favorite tool so that you use to be awesome at your job? So in terms of my favorite apps, I love Todoist for anyone who doesn't use it. I love it. It's a way I keep track of all my to-dos and um, projects. And I'm also an artist. You're looking at some of my art behind me. So I love my iPad. It's where I draw. It's where I write things down. I think those are, those are for me two tools. And I'm going to mention one that probably has nothing to do with work, but fresh air. I could not be awesome at my job if I did not go outside for a walk every day. And is there a key nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks? They quote it back to you often. Yeah. The thing that I hear back most often is this idea that I shared of you can't give what you don't have. And this is from senior leaders and junior employees and men and women. And it, I think we're all, we have this inner martyr that comes out where we think we have to go last. And that's the way to be a good leader, a good teammate, a good colleague. And so when people have that breakthrough, this understanding of, in order to give in whatever way you want to give, I have to actually fuel myself. So you can't give what you don't have. Mm -hmm. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Very easy. Go to nataliekogan.com. And I'm very easy to find there. I'm on all the social medias, but nataliekogan.com is the hub. Okay. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? 
Well, my call to action is twofold. I actually love giving homework. So I love an opportunity to give homework. I always give homework at the end of my talks and keynotes. So my homework is twofold. Take one thing that you heard me talk about and make it a practice for the next five days. There's no magic, by the way, about five days, just like there's no magic about 21 days. It takes much longer to create a habit. But five days is a really good amount of time to do something and then check in with yourself and see if it's made a difference. So take one thing you heard and do it for the next five days. Make that commitment to yourself. And the second part of your homework is share your gratitude with someone today. It can be someone at work, can be someone outside of work, but tell someone why you appreciate them. By the way, you never have to use the word gratitude if you don't want to. You can say you're awesome because tell someone why you're grateful for them today and you'll the impact of that will be so clear to you. Hopefully you'll keep at it. Well, Natalie, thanks so much for this and I wish you much awesomeness in the weeks ahead. Thank you. This was an awesome interview. Thanks for having me. I really liked Natalie's two key questions to ask. The thinking. You're checking, you're having a thought, say, hmm, is this true? And is it useful or helpful? Very handy to check yourself and see what's going on and do a gentle redirect as necessary. Great stuff from Natalie. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP741. Hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.